Amen. Well, welcome to week two of our series, Church 3.0, looking at how we can be more fully engaged in Lex City, but also how you can close those spiritual rings like Brian just mentioned. And so as we start today, random question for you guys. Okay, so when you're boarding an airplane, do you believe when you get on the airplane, it's pretty much God's will for you to have that window seat? Where are my window seat people at? Window seat, raise your hand, right? You want to sleep a little bit, right? Where are my aisle people at? You like the aisle, you want that extra leg room a little bit, you gotta go to the bathroom, maybe you have a small bladder, that's you, okay? Where are my middle seat, middle seat people, middle seat? <laughs> All right, none of you, right? The middle seat is like airplane prison or something, right? It's like a punishment, you don't, nobody wants the middle seat. Want to establish that, we'll get back to that in just a minute, but as we get started today, you can go to legcity.info, click on message notes, you can follow along with the message as we go today, and so... But in case you weren't aware, we live in a very selfish, self-centered culture. And today I reference selfishness because I believe it's the opposite of generosity. And I want to talk about today how we can live this life of extravagant giving, extravagant generosity in our lives. And so I was researching uh, the topic of selfishness this week, and I came across an article that was entitled, Science Shows Us We Are Selfish. So that was funny. I'm like, we don't need science to tell that, right? Just go to work with people you work with, go to the mall at Christmas time, like hang out with a two-year-old for more than five minutes, right? And you'll see that we are all very selfish. By nature, you can look around and see that people are inherently selfish. And according to the article, the bad news for men is this. Men are generally more selfish than women. And women said, amen, there it is. Sorry, guys. There's a study that shows that the male neural reward system is more stimulated by self-centeredness. Women, on the other hand, they're likely to get a dopamine rush whenever they do something good for other people. Women are like, yeah, that's right. And why is this? Well, people argue because men are wired to survive. I'm going to leave my cave. I'm going to go out and kill something and drag it back, and we're going to survive, right? So typically, women are more generous, Women, on the other hand, they're nurturers. They get excited about helping other, everybody else survive. And so men, how many of you guys, men, you like to work out, you like to run, like to stay in shape? Guys, where you at? There we go, online, you guys as well, okay? All right, so it gets worse for you guys that like to work out, okay, according to this article. (laughs) I tell you, the article says that bigger muscles lead to a smaller heart, On average, muscle guys are less generous than the, than the guys who drive by the gym straight to the pizza restaurant. This will now be my ongoing reason slash excuse for not working out. I'm just too generous of a person, all right? So back to the airplane. For those of you who prefer the window seats, all right, as I do, you are more selfish on average than those who prefer the other seats. So why am I covering all this random stuff, okay? It's for my single lady friends, single gals here in person watching online Don't marry a man who always goes to the gym and prefers the window seat. You are welcome, okay? This is good dating advice. I'm just kidding. But ladies, if you're feeling good about yourself, all right, men aren't the only ones that are selfish. According to studies, when it comes to chocolate, it is every woman for herself. Studies are clear that if a woman is with her best friend and she has a choice between a bigger piece of chocolate or a smaller piece of chocolate, She's going to hose the friend every time and take the bigger piece of chocolate, okay? All the ladies said, you know it's true. All right. So I say all that to say our culture is about selfishness. What does culture tell us? Gratify yourself. 
Get what you need for yourself. Get whatever you want. It's all about you. Jesus, though, on the other hand, says if you want to be my disciple, don't indulge yourself, but start by denying yourself. If you want to follow me, it's not about getting more of what you want. It starts with self-denial. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Rather than being selfish in all that we do, I believe that God calls us to extravagant generosity. And so our key verse for today, and it'll be on the screens, I want to look at Proverbs 21, verse 26. And this is when Solomon's talking about lazy and selfish people. And he says this, All day long, the lazy and selfish crave and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. I love the imagery. Even though in our culture today, it's natural to be selfish, natural to crave, natural to want more and more and more, there is another type of person, a righteous person, a follower of Christ, and this person gives and does not hold back. As a church, we want to lead in the way of generosity because we fully believe that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We want to give as God gave. We want to give without holding back. For those of you that are going, shoot, I can't believe I came to church on generosity week. All right, I should have just stayed home. I want to talk directly to you and everyone else. I want to show us three different mindsets today about generosity. We can kind of see where we each fall in those mindsets. Before we do that, though, I just feel like I'm supposed to say what this message isn't about. So for those of you who may walk in here online and you're suspicious of when churches talk about giving or talk about generosity, now we need to be really careful when we talk about this because in our world, the church world, there can be two really dangerous extremes. And maybe you've heard these before. If you're new to the church, you may have not heard these terms, but they're terms we talk about behind the scenes, and they're these two things. They're what's known as prosperity gospel and poverty gospel. Prosperity gospel is one extreme that basically teaches if you had just have enough faith and you just give, you're going to be rich and healthy and happy. Nothing ever, ever will go wrong with in your life. If you just give, you'll be rich. And unfortunately, I believe this is a gross distortion of what Scripture teaches and that extreme is potentially very dangerous. On the other side, there's an equally dangerous extreme known as the poverty gospel. Prosperity gospel says, hey, if you're righteous, you're rich. The poverty gospel says, oh, no, if you're rich, you're unrighteous. The only righteous people are the poor people who give everything away or don't have anything at all. And that, again, is an equally dangerous message. Because Scripture actually says that God blesses people. Sometimes he blesses them with health. Sometimes he blesses them with relationships. Sometimes he blesses them with wealth. It's a blessing, one of the many blessings from God. Scripture actually says that God can bless people with wealth. So it's not about what you have or what you don't have as much as it is a condition of your heart and how we manage what God has given us to manage. So just because there are dangerous extremes does not mean that we should not walk down the middle in biblical faithfulness and teach the powerful truth that Jesus said when he said, if you give, it will be given unto you. That what you keep is basically all you have, but what you give, God can and will multiply. So with that in mind, I'm going to give you three different mindsets of generosity. You can look it up, Lexi.info on the sermon notes there. The first one taking notes is this. It's the bag mindset, the bag mindset, which says that there is never enough. And honestly, this is how many of us grew up. This is how many of us were raised. It's kind of the poverty mindset. There's a lack. There's a scarcity mindset. In fact, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, let me give you context first. God's people during the time were not putting God first. They were taking care of themselves or at least trying to, but they were not rebuilding the temple of God like he asked them to. So because of that, it says in Haggai 1, 6, it says this. You eat, but you do not have enough. 
You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put into a bag with holes. The bag mindset. Most people in the United States, we, we live this way. We don't put God first and we believe there's never enough. It comes in, but it just goes out, right? There's holes in the bag. How many of you feel like that's your bank account, right? There's holes in the bag, right? I'd love to give more. I'd love to be more generous, but there's just not enough in the bag. I'd love to make a difference. I wish I, could do, I, wish I didn't always worry about money, but there's just not enough in the bag. What's interesting about this bag mindset, and again, this is the way most people are raised. Judas, you guys remember Judas, the guy who betrayed Jesus, carried a bag. He was the money keeper, and he was all about the bag. In fact, there's a very powerful story in Mark chapter 14 about a woman who was most likely a prostitute, that had been changed by Jesus, experienced the presence of Jesus, the blessing of Jesus, just, it changed her life. And so because of that change, she did an extravagant thing. She took a bottle of perfume that was worth about a year's worth of wages. She cracked it open and she poured as an act of worship the whole thing on top of Jesus. And there were people present, Judas included, that saw that and they got really frustrated. And they were like, woman, what are you doing right now? You could have taken that and you could have sold it and we could have used that money and given it away to the poor. So they're frustrated. The problem is Judas was distorted in his own understanding and love of money because not only was he guarding a money bag, but he was taking out for himself. He had a problem. He said you could sell this and give this to the poor, but then just shortly after, the guy who gets mad about this thing goes and sells out Jesus, right, for 30 pieces of silver. Why? Because he wanted to put a little bit more in his bag. It's the bag mindset. It's not enough. Money doesn't grow on trees. We're gonna have to go without. The rich get rich, the poor get poor. We continue to struggle. I wish we could do more, but there's not enough in the bag. That's the bag mindset. Number two mindset is the basket, which says that there is enough. Let me show you the blessing of the basket. Deuteronomy 28, two and five says this. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. So the people of Haggai in his time did not put God first. They didn't rebuild the temple. They didn't obey God. But when God's people did, scripture says in verse five, your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. There will be enough. Let's take it to the New Testament. Luke chapter six, 38. Jesus says this, give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. Notice he didn't say, keep and it will be given to you. He did not say, hoard and it will be given to you. He says, give and it will be given to you. I've heard of a, I've heard of a lot of emotional giving stories in my life as a pastor. I've never heard of a lot of emotional keeping stories. Right? Oh, we were thinking about blessing someone, but oh, I thank God we kept it for ourselves. And we were praying and praying about being generous to the church and giving above our tithe or giving to compassion to help people in need. But, oh, I thank God we shut that temptation off, right? We really dodged a bullet there. You don't hear a lot of those stories told, right? It says that verse, at the end of verse 38, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Why did Jesus say, give it and will be given to you? Jesus understood that you can keep what you have or you can give it. And this point's really critical. What you keep is all you have. What you give, God multiplies. 
Given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. What in the world does that mean? I didn't know what it really meant until this week. I started researching. I'm like, what does that mean, that phrase? So the crowd that was listening to Jesus teach on this would have had a good kind of contextual understanding because they knew, because they knew uh, that a rich landowner would often be very generous to those who were poor. And the rich landowner, he would say to his workers at the end of the week, leave some grain at the edge of the field and that those who are struggling and those who are hungry can come and they can take that as a gift as God has blessed me. We want to bless other people with what we have. So think of the type of basket you would carry if you were a minimum wage worker working for this landowner and your job is to carry the grain from all over the field all the way to the barn. How much would you put in your basket? I'm thinking probably maybe like three quarters full, right? You get that basket, it's, it's heavy enough, right? It's not gonna spill, but it's also not so heavy that you can't carry it all day long back and forth and back and forth. On the other hand, if my family is very hungry, and I'm receiving a generous gift from a wealthy landowner, and I carry my basket to the edge of the field, and I know this is what I'm going to take to feed my family for the whole week. How full do you think I'll put that basket? I will fill it good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, fill my basket. When you give, God gives to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, because what you keep is all you have, but what you give, God multiplies it. Let me, like make this 2021 language instead. So you're going to the gas station. You're gonna get like, what is it, Icy or Slurpee, right? My Icy fans out there? Like four of us, great. All right, so you go to the, you go to the gas station, right? You, you start pouring, and then what do you do when it gets to the top? You bang it, right? You press it down, right? You shake it a little bit. You do a little bit more. If you're really smart, then you grab that plastic lid with the big hole in it, and you stick it on top. Then you put some more in, right? And you press it, shake it down together, right? Then some of you take that straw, right? And what do you do? You turn away so no one can see you. And you drink a little bit, right? Anybody with me on that one? Thank you. This is like good confessional time, right? It's the same thing, though. It's the same thing as the grain. When you give, God gives you back to you good measure, pressed down, Shaken together, running over is how he will give it unto you. It is the basket where God gives you enough. Let me give you a couple of stories from the Old Testament that I think are really meaningful. In 1 Kings chapter 17, if you look the story up later, there's a widow who had a young son. And this poor widow, all she had left was a little bit of olive oil and a little bit of flour inside of a basket. And it says that she told her son, hey, I'm going to make us a little loaf of bread. And then we're going to go out and we're basically going to die because we're going to starve to death. It's a terrible, terrible story. But then the prophet Elijah, he shows up and he says, would you give me some bread? And she's like, I would love to do this, but I can't because it's all I have, a little bit of flour in my basket. And after we make this loaf of bread, we're gonna go out and we're gonna die. And the prophet challenges her, would you just trust God? Would you just give this to the man of God and see what God does with that? And this woman who had almost nothing made the most courageous, faith-filled decision to honor God by giving him first when she had almost nothing. And if you read the story, what is so powerful is from that moment on, God always multiplied what was in her basket and she always had enough flour in her basket. In the New Testament, Jesus was teaching one day. It said there was about 5,000 men. If you read a little bit, if you learn a bit more about that, it's probably close to 15 or 20,000 people. They didn't count the women and children at the time. And Jesus got done teaching. And at the end, the disciples are like, hey, everyone's hungry and there's no food. And you guys know the story, right? The little kid comes up 
He's got like a long John Silver's lunch basket or Captain D's, right? Five loaves, two fishes in it, brings it up. And he didn't keep what he had in the basket. He gave it and God multiplied it and fed everyone. And at the end of the meal, there were 12 basketfuls left over. Why 12? I'm not really sure. But maybe it's because there were 12 disciples. And maybe it's because God said, I want you each to take this home as a doggy bag, as a reminder that with the basket mindset, there is enough. What I love about our church is there are countless people living out this basket mindset of generosity. One of those guys is a guy named Chris. And Chris has an incredible story. He's been through so much in his life. And he would tell you that he's still going through things right now. But in this area of generosity, he is really learning to put God first in his life. This is Chris's story. Hey, my name is Chris Bain, and this is my story. I was raised by a broken family. My mom was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. I think at an early age, I uh, could identify with abandonment and um, just not having people in my life that I thought loved me or cared for me because of the different places that I bounced around to. Um, I ended up on, on my own at the age of 12 years old. The people that I looked up to were in the streets. They sold dope, um, prostituted women. They had the nice cars, the pretty girls, a pocket full of money, and that registered success to me. Uh, so that's what I pursued. Went to work at a young age as a, uh, a hot carrier. It's just a, a laborer for, for brick, block, and stonemasons. Even the guys that, that we worked for back then, they liked to smoke weed and, and drink a lot of alcohol. And uh, so I would take part in that. It made me feel like an adult. It made me feel like I was grown. And, and for the most part, you know, I had to be. I was taking care of myself. Two days after I turned 18, I ended up in the penitentiary for some gun charges and some wanton endangerment charges. Served that prison sentence out. Uh, came home to the same stuff, nothing had changed. But I got involved with um, some other people taking care of the tri-state area here with uh, a lot of drugs. And, you know, they pulled me in. What I thought at the time was they were looking out for me and, you know, they were trying to help me become financially stable. What I understand now is I was just a scapegoat. But I ended up uh, eating some, some Xanaxes one night and ended up robbing these guys for about a quarter of a million dollars. Um, I woke up about five days later off of these Xanaxes and realized what I'd done and was terrified. You know, I was just trying to get back on my feet, trying to survive. I think it was a survival instinct, uh, you know, whatever it took to survive out here. <clears throat> and I've chased money my whole life. I thought that money was, uh, it gave me a sense of security because we never had any. There was never any financial stability. I got out of prison back in 2009. And I went to get custody of my my two kids, my two daughters. Her mother was still in the game. They were running pills back and forth from Florida. And uh, I took her to court. And because of my record, you know, it didn't matter how, um, how much I'd changed my life. I get a phone call a year to the day that uh, they found my daughter's body in a motel room in Georgia. Um, she was eight years old. She had three times a lethal amount of methadone, Senex, and Soma in her system. Her mom had fed her a bunch of a bunch of dope. I resented God for it. I ended up going to college, man, in Connecticut. God used that place to 
He helped me clean my life back up. When I got back from Connecticut, I was sleeping in a truck. I was alone, man. It was lonely. I was by myself. Um, I was still living in fear, wondering what these guys were going to do if I ever showed up back down here. They sent five guys in to tie me up and put me in a trunk. And God was with me, man. I got away. They shot at me twice as I'm running and screaming like a little girl. Help me, help me, help me. Um, I got away and they ended up arresting these guys. Next couple of days, I went and got a job with one of the bigger commercial masonry companies here in Lexington, Mason Structure. My phone starts ringing for chimneys to be worked on and retaining walls to be fixed. And I had such a customer base. So I pursued Cornerstone Masons. That's the name of my company is Cornerstone Masons. It's biblical. Jesus was the first uh, chief cornerstone, right? Lex City is so involved with the Hope Center, which has been a very important part of my life. So that's attractive to me, right? That, that you guys just reached back out and gave me an opportunity to drive, uh, be on the van ministry, man, and, and go back and, and do something for a place that actually helped save my life. I get to look at my fiance when you guys are up there rocking out, singing, man, and she's in tears, just praising God. That's what's important to me today. It's not chasing a dollar. I started tithing last year and it wasn't consistent. It was kind of hit and miss. And um, again, I run on fear, right? Um, am I going to have enough to continue to make this thing run? Because I'm relying on self instead of God. So this year, all bets are off, right? All bets are off. We're tithing 10% of our income. Malachi 3.10 says, uh, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. But this is what he says, test me in this. Try me, he says. And, uh, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, there will be no room, not enough room to store it. I don't just give 10% of my income. I give 10% of the company's income because I, I heard this message one time. It said, well, pastor, what should I give? 10% of net or gross? Or He said, well, which part of it do you want to be blessed? So that resonated with me and it, it registered to the point that was where I was like, man, I don't just want to be blessed. I want the guys that work for us to be blessed. I want our business to be blessed. My life has just been crazy chaotic, but there's been more stability and structure in my life over the last couple of years than ever in my life. And uh, there's there's a scripture, it's Matthew 6, verse 33, it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I always thought it was money and monetary possessions. It's peace of mind, joy, happiness, Serenity, financial stability is just a byproduct of that stuff, man. I don't have it all together. I'll be the first to tell you I don't, but I do. this is what I do do. I get up every morning and I ask for direction. I ask God to keep me clean and sober today. Um, and I thank him at night. It's as simple as that. The mental, emotional, spiritual aspects of my life today is I can't put it into words. It's just, I'm a completely different person. He transformed me. Yeah. Thank you, Chris, for your story. And, uh, and that'll preach. I mean, that, that's a great story. And just thank you for your faithfulness and what God's doing in your life. And maybe you can't relate to every part of his story, but I think we can all relate to the part of our desire to put God first in every area of our life. And... Um, the last mindset I want to talk about today 
is the third mindset. And this is where I would like to live. I'll be honest, I'm not usually in this place, but I would love to live in this place. And this is the barn, the barn mindset, which says that there is way more than enough. When you recognize in God's kingdom, there's way more than enough. Proverbs chapter three in the Old Testament in verse nine and 10 says this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. When we honor God and we put him first with what he entrusts us to, our barns will be filled to overflowing. What does our God want? I hope you'll understand. God always wants to be first in your life. More than your family, more than your friends, more than your job, more than everything else. He wants to be first in your life. In Matthew chapter six, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything else will be added unto you. Seek him first. So what do I do? What do we do? At the beginning of the day, we seek him first. We go to his word. We spend time in prayer. Beginning of the week, we seek God first in worship. Beginning of any increase that God gives us, we worship him first in the Old Testament. It was called the first fruits or it's called the tithe. The tithe comes from a Hebrew that literally means one-tenth. Whatever God gives to us in an act of worship and obedience to him, we return one-tenth back to say, God, you are our provider. You are first in every single way. I acknowledge that it already belongs to you. I bring you my first fruits. The first of what you give to me, I bring back to you. So let's unpack this a little bit because I think this, this concept can be a little bit confusing and I kind of read it from a different way today and, and researched it quite a bit this week and if your mind is wandering like it can about your next meal or whatever, just try to focus in for the next three or four minutes. This is really important stuff. So Exodus chapter 13, verse two, God says this. Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. In other words, if you're living in this time during scripture and your sheep gives birth to a lamb, you give God the first lamb. You don't wait till you have 10 lambs and then give God the ugly one, okay? We give them the first one. If you jump forward to verse 13, the same chapter, God says, redeem with the lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. What in the world does that mean? Well, there are two different types of animals. There are animals that are clean. There are animals that are unclean. A lamb is considered a clean animal. A donkey is considered an unclean animal. So what you do if you have an unclean donkey is that you, when it's born, you need to redeem it. You purchase the right for it to live with a clean lamb. If you don't purchase the life of the donkey, you break the neck of the donkey because you didn't purchase this life. What in the world does all this mean, right? The question is, when you and I were born, were we born clean or unclean? We were born unclean. We were born as sinners. We inherit a sin nature. Now, who is Jesus to God? Jesus was the firstborn. Jesus is the son of God. He's also called the lamb of God. Was Jesus clean or unclean? He was clean, right? Jesus never, ever sinned. He didn't inherit the sin nature from an earthly, sinful father, but instead inherited the spiritual, divine nature from his heavenly father. He was clean in every way. And how did God give? God gave, and he did not hold back. He gave his firstborn, his one and only son. He gave the clean lamb of God without spot, without blemish. And why did God do this? God gave Jesus to redeem us from our sins before we even knew that we needed him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what God gave multiplied the life of one for the life of many, the clean one for the lives of us who are unclean. And this is one reason why God says, I'm not asking you to do something that I didn't already do myself. I gave first. Now put me first in every area of your life. Not just financially, we talk about it because this one is very tangible, right? 
This one, we, we hold money very close to our heart. We, we, we need it to live. It's very close, and he knew that. It's why in Scripture there's over 2,300 verses in regards to money. God knew we would struggle with this. He knew this would be a hard thing for us because it takes incredible faith to give. It takes even more faith to give first. Whether you give at the first of the month, the end of the month, whenever you give, it takes faith to do all of that. It's the only time in Scripture that he gives us permission to put him to the test. He says, if you don't believe me, test me. Try it out. Put me to the test. Try it. Worship me with a tithe and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and give you barn-type blessings. So many blessings. Not just increase in finance, but joy, spiritual contentment, the things that Chris mentioned in the video. Peace. Put me first. That's why Pastor Brian said before, if you can't tithe, try starting with a percentage giving, right? Start with 2% or 5% and see what God does with that. Watch how he blesses your life. This is important to me, not because I'm the executive pastor and one of my roles is to make sure that the, God, that the church really does a great job stewarding God's resources, but also because this is important in my life. I was raised in the church. My parents raised me in a way that said, hey, regardless of where you're at financially, give back to God first. And so for 21 years, my wife and I decided that we were going to tithe the first day of the month every single time. And we've done that for 21 straight years. And that's not been easy. It takes incredible faith, especially early on in our marriage when we had no money, we had no savings. And I was doing the math because I'm a budget guy and I was like, this doesn't, it doesn't add up. We're not gonna have nothing in the month. Then I realized something. God said, you know, it's my economy, the world's economy are different. You'll have enough. There will be enough. And I struggled with that bag mindset for a really long time. And we continue to give and continue to give and continue to give. And we're trying to model this for our kids as well. And there was a time years ago when, when uh, I was with a great church and I'd been there for a long time. And then they did a reorganization. I wasn't really a part of that staff anymore. And they were very generous with the severance, but we didn't know what was gonna happen next. And we were like, God, where are we going? What are we doing? And I had this moment for about a week where I just dipped down into that bag mindset. I said, there's never enough, there's not enough. I don't know what my future is. I don't know what I'm doing. We need to keep all this money for ourselves just so we can have security. And God continued to chip away at me and work at me. And a week later, we decided we're gonna, we're gonna tithe off the severance. We're gonna give it away. And I kid you not, two days later, a family from our church stopped by our house. And they said, we don't know what it looks like for you financially right now, but we felt called to give you this and they gave us a check. And that check covered two months of my salary. I say that to say, it's not just about the money, but sometimes God will bless you. God will use your faithfulness, your obedience in your life. And I don't say that story to make me look good at all because I lived in that bag mindset for too long. And I've grown finally into a basket mindset and I wanna live in the barn type of blessings. And what he brings to me, I want, it, I want it to go to others. And it says in Proverbs 3, as we close, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And it's not so we can build bigger barns for ourselves. It's so we can be a bigger blessing to people all over the world. And so as we close, I wanna ask you the question, like where are you at on that mindset of generosity? Are you living in the bag mindset? Are you in the, are you in the basket mindset? Are you in the barn and where do you wanna be? Where is God drawing you in right now? Where is he saying, hey, let's talk about this. Let's pray about it. Let's discuss it. Let's figure this out together. 
Because Proverbs 21 says, all day long, the lazy and selfish crave and crave, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. The Jesus followers give and do not hold back in the same way that our God gave his son for us, the firstborn lamb of God, and he did not hold back. Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed right now in this moment, just, just take this moment between you and the Lord right now. If your life is like mine, it gets crazy and busy and, and you don't really have a lot of these moments of just kind of quiet where you just sit in the presence of God. So if you're here right now and you say, Zach, when you talk about God gave Jesus his firstborn son for me, I don't, I don't think I have a relationship with that. And I tell you in his word, it says, but God demonstrates his love for us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means that God knows all the stuff in my life, all the sin, all the mistakes, all the junk in my life. And in spite of all of that, he chooses to love me anyways. He takes it one step further. He says, I want a relationship with you through my son, Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you would say, that's me. I, I don't have a relationship with Jesus and I've been living my life for, for wealth, for success. I'm finding my identity in all these other things, but I'm feeling empty at the end of the day and I just need hope. And I tell you that hope is a relationship with Jesus. So if you're here today or you're watching online right now and you would say, that's me, I need to ask Christ to come into my heart today, right now. With no one looking around, just say, that's me. Lift up your hand right now, say, that's me. I wanna ask Christ to come into my heart this morning, right now. Awesome. Anybody else that would say, that's me, just lift your hand up right now, say, that's me. Awesome. I'm gonna say a prayer right now. And, and this prayer is just you connecting your heart to the very heart of God and just say something like this. Say, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that my sin separates me from you. But today, God, I ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to save me. I ask you to change me. I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for my sins and that he beat death and he rose again. I'm tired of living for me. I wanna start living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you guys give a round of applause for those that made that decision today? That's amazing. We wanna celebrate that with you. If you made that decision today, I wanna encourage you, go to lexi.info, click on I Prayed. We just wanna send you an email with some next steps on your faith journey. And we wanna know that God's gonna do amazing things in your life and we're really excited for you. And we're gonna have people down front um, that are gonna, that at the end of the service, I'd love to pray with you. Please just tell someone that you made the decision today. We'd love to hear about that. If you're online, make sure and go online and, and, and do that as well. So.